Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so pumped, man, for this new series called Moses. For those of you that are kind of new to Discovery, maybe you've been here for this last series. How many of you enjoy Hot Seat? Hot Seat? Okay. So I know there's a, a, a lot of, man, there's a lot of new faces here. And, and so I want to kind of let you know how we do kind of things here at Discovery as far as teaching ministry. We do a lot of variety of, we don't just kind of stay in a pocket and like, oh, this is, this is how we teach topically. We're led by the Spirit here at Discovery Church. How many, by the way, are still on a high from Friday, night of worship? Anyone here? Talk about being led by the Spirit. God is shifting some things in the atmosphere at Discovery Church, man. And, and I'm so excited for what he's doing. But but the, in our teaching ministry, uh, you know, we'll, we're led by the Spirit in the sense that like sometimes it's character studies, sometimes it's book studies, sometimes it's topical teaching. So um, I always think like, like sometimes churches get, get kind of narrowed into a lane like, oh, we do this kind of, hey, we're Spirit-filled church, we're like a Bible-believing church, we're like a, but like what's not a Bible-believing church? What is not, by the way? Anyway, I just think like... Why don't we have all of that? Why can't we be a spirit-filled, Bible-teaching, like, like discipleship-oriented, community-oriented, outreach-oriented? Why can't we do all those things in one body? Amen? So in order to do that, you just got to be led by the Spirit and not get narrowed into a personality or a preference or a style and just allow the Holy Spirit to lead. So we just feel led by God to take a, a journey through his word. And this is a, a longer series, a character study on Moses. A lot of it is going to be in Exodus and some of the other you know, books, the first five books of, of, the, uh, of the Old Testament written by Moses. But um, if you do not have a Bible, please get a Bible. Amen? Even if you're in the investigative journey of faith and you're just like, ah, if you're going to investigate it well, get a Bible, okay? And then bring your Bible to church. Amen. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be great if we all bought, brought Bibles to church again? <laughs> that would be fantastic. I know I give you the notes. I make it so easy for you. I give you notes. I give you binders. I put it all up on here and stuff like that. But and I know you got a phone, too, and you got your electronic. And I do, too. I like reading it from the phone. And, but there's, you need a Bible, church. Child of God, you need a Bible. Okay, get yourself a study Bible. Okay, if you don't have one yet, the Life Application Study Bible is a great one. NIV or NLT. There's a lot of different ones. If you don't have one, start there with that. Bring it. Bring a highlighter. Bring a pen. Let's dig into the Word of God for the next several months. We're going to be in this series for a minute, okay, for a minute, because there's so much in this. And I would love for you, can I invite you on a, like a journey through this thing? Because there's so, this, Moses is, his story is so rich. I mean, this is the dude. He's the man, this is the man who started, like, the foundation of it all, the law, the prophets, like, the system of, of governing the, the temple and the people of God and, like, the law of God, the promised land. Like, this is so much, and there's so much, the, there's, like, the theology of salvation, theology of sin and deliverance and slavery, and there's a lot of shadows and types inside of this character and his journey, and so there's a lot to study and it ain't going to happen. Like, if you, just, if you just piecemeal this thing and come a little bit, you ain't going to get all that God wants you to get out of this person called Moses. So I want to invite you on a journey for the next. For some of you, this is like you ain't never been to church like two times in a row, okay? For some of you, it's, this is a challenge, and I'm laying it down, okay? Come to church like for the next several months and try not to miss it. And come hungry, come ready to learn and grow. Amen, somebody? Okay, all right, man. So now we're all on the same page here. Let me kind of set the stage. Today's just introducing. I want to introduce right at the onset of when this character 
this, this person of Moses is introduced. And I didn't want to run too past this, like run over this part of the story and just jump into it because it's foundational. And so the next several weeks of, of Moses' life, what I'm going to talk to you about today is foundational to what he's experiencing. And I want to start by asking this question. And I want you to ask it of yourself. Moses had to ask it, and he wrestled with it. And we're going to wrestle with it for the next three weeks, okay? But it's this question right here. It's, who am I? Okay? And, and, and so if I could just put you in a vulnerable place and get like to just before God as you sit here today in this church for you to ask that question of yourself, who am I? And I wonder where your mind goes to even when I ask that question. I wonder if you, if you start thinking about your career. Who am I? I am this. And I, or I wonder if you start thinking about your successes, your achievements, or maybe you start thinking about your failures or your mistakes when you, when you ask yourself, who who am, who am I? I mean, this is a huge question that determines a lot of what we do and who we are. And, and maybe who am I? Your mind goes to your gender. Maybe it goes to your sex. Maybe it goes to your history or your lineage. For a lot of us in this world, we've let our circumstances, we've let the world around us, we've let the people around us influence and dictate who we are and we walk around because of that. Even so many Christians walk around with confused identity, with a missing identity that really we, we don't know how to answer this question in light of who we are in Christ. Who are we? And because of that, uh, there's, we're susceptible to the attack of the enemy and we're susceptible to the delusion of our purpose in this world. And so we're going to wrestle with this. Moses wrestled with this question, who am I that we're going to wrestle with today? Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. And yeah, I gave you sermon notes, and they're going to be up here. You can just jump in with me, you guys. Let me kind of catch you up, because there was a chapter 1 was just setting the stage, the bridge between Genesis and Exodus. It was just kind of letting you know what happened in these like 300-something years from the time of Joseph, when he kind of was all in charge and the man second in command with Pharaoh, to now they're enslaved, man. After Joseph passes away, there was rose a Pharaoh that didn't know. Generations had passed that didn't know Joseph, didn't know what he did. But there's all these like Israelite people living in the land. And by the way, they were living in one of the best parts of the land. And this Pharaoh was like, these guys are, they're multiplying like jackrabbits. And if they, they're like, they would, over, if they just partnered with another nation, they could overpower us from the inside. And so he didn't like that, so he started oppressing them, and he started, he, he moved them out of the, the uh, good land into a land that they were like basically camps. They were in slavery and in bondage, and, and, and then the Pharaoh, to stop the growth and spread of the Israelite nation, he, he committed infanticide, which is, you know, he started murdering all the boys. All the boys who were born, they were to be drowned in the Nile. That's the, the, the state of desperation of God's people and the nation that we see now in Exodus chapter 2, which, by the way, Exodus just means departure. It means going out, okay, because this is the book of the people being delivered. How many of you know that God always draws you out to draw you in, okay? God always draws and said, this is the story of God drawing his people out so that he could draw them in to himself. Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, Now a man from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And that might seem like not very, like, yeah, okay, it's, they're just mom and dad, but that's intentional. We're going to talk about that. When she saw that he was a fine child, 
Not fine as in like, uh, anyway. It, she, she hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer, because here she, like, she got to kill this boy or they're going to come and kill her. So what she did is she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And so she placed that child in the, in the basket among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And I've been waiting, been waiting like two weeks to tell you this. Moses was the first basket case. You thought you were bad. So if anyone here is like, man, I can't be used by God. I got a jacked up past. Man, I'm where I come from. I'm a basket case. You may be the next Moses. Come on, man. God will use you anyway. I've been waiting a while to tell you that. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So this is Moses' sister now, a little bit older than him. She's now watching him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw there was Moses, the baby. She was crying, or he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh, so she comes out of hiding and asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Sure, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, said to the baby's mother, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. How many want to get paid to watch your own kids? What a deal, right? What a fantastic deal. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. But then after that nursing time was over and the child was weaned, she had to give the child back. What could it say? She gave the child, after he grew, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Um, Moses' story is one of the most famous stories of a, mis- of a confused identity, of a misplaced identity. Um, this is a story of a lost identity. It's a story how Moses rediscovered who he really was. And because of that, it changed his life. It changed his destiny. It changed history, and that's the same thing that can happen to every single one of you. When you discover, or for some of you, rediscover your identity, it will change your life. It will change your destiny, and it will change your history, meaning like your children's children, like your legacy can change by you just getting a a revelation of who God says you are, like your identity, and I see the, the parallels of, of us as Christians living in a crazy world that we're in right now. Here is Moses caught between two worlds of the Israelite nation and Egypt. And here we are. Some of you, you you're like, you're one thing. Can I talk to some students? You're a student in the room. You're, you're one thing at home with your parents watching. Then you turn into someone else when you go to school. Who am I? Who am I? There comes a point in your life where you got to really discover who am I? Some of us live like chameleons. We're one, some of you people, you're one, you're one person in the home when you're around your spouse or your kids, but when you go to work, you turn into somebody else. Or you're at church, you're one person, and you're, you're one person here, but then outside of here, you're not the same person. You're not, you're not living from the same place of identity. You're, you're, with this group, you're, you're this kind of person. And with this group, you're, you're that kind of person. And if you can just get a revelation of your identity in Christ, it will change your life. It'll change your destiny. 
It, it, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. It'll change, it'll change your legacy. In the New Testament, there's a chapter uh, that we call the Hall of Faith. Uh, the Hebrew chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith. And it includes some details of Moses' journey and rediscovering his identity. I kind of want to study with you verse by verse today. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the Hall of Faith chapter where it talks about Moses. Look what it says about Moses. And I'm just setting the stage today with this message, okay? By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead at his reward. It says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's arrow, the, the anger, the Pharaoh's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. See, once you know who you are, I'm telling you, you're, you're going to stand taller. You're going to walk stronger. You're going to be resistant to the, to the traps of this world. You're, you're, you're going to be closer to Jesus. The, your fulfillment in life is just going to go up so much more when you know who you are. And equally, your fear in life goes down when you know exactly who you are. Some of you, the root of your fear and anxiety is not really what's out there. It's because what's lacking in here. Okay? You don't know who you are, your identity. And knowing your identity, I'm gonna, let me dissect these Hebrews chapter 11 verse. Knowing your identity does a few things, four things for you. Write these down. Number one, knowing your identity demonstrates spiritual maturity. Have you ever seen someone who kind of just knows? They know. They know who they are. They know what they're doing. They know what God is. That, you look at you see people like that, and you're like, wow, that's someone who's mature. That's someone who's like, like, let me say it this way. The road, the road to spiritual maturity is the road to personal identity. What does that mean? It means the closer you get to God, the more you're going to understand you. The more you get closer to your creator, the more you're going to understand what your creator created you for. Spiritual maturity leads to personal identity. Eventually, once you start walking out this faith journey, you stop, asking, you stop asking the question, who am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I, where am I, where am I going with my life? The closer you get to God, you grow up. Moses asked the question. Everybody eventually asks. We all ask these questions growing up, maturing not just physically, but in Christ, growing up in Christ. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I going? Does my life even matter? Does my life have, have meaning? Those are all identity questions. Let's look at verse 24 again. Look what it says. By faith, Moses, when he had what? Say it out loud. When he had, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's a guy who was born a Hebrew slave, the poorest of poor, no influence, no clout. He's raised in Pharaoh's palace, the most powerful man at that time in the ancient world. You could not get further apart from the economic and social status between these two worlds and he's got to say who am I going to be am I going to be royalty or a slave he's got an identity crisis going on I want to ask you like what would you choose would you choose to fake it live a lie be somebody you weren't meant to be or would you be who God made you to be 
Moses is a man of in, integrity. He refused to live a lie. Nobody could pressure him into making any different decision. No amount of peer pressure could persuade him. There's so much stress that we have in our life because we do not know who we are. It's causing anxiety because we don't know our identity. And when you don't know who you are, then you start living for the expectations of others. You live for the approval of others. You live in fear of rejection of others. You start becoming a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. What it teaches us here is when he had grown up, he refused to fake his identity. Some of y'all need to grow up. You need to grow up. This is what Jesus did. John chapter 8, verse 14. Look what it says. He said, the most spiritually mature person that ever lived, right? I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Look, as your pastor who loves you I, want you, I want you to be able to say this. I want you to be able to say, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. I, don't, uh, I know who I used to be. I know what I used to do. I know what my past is, and I don't try to be who I'm not, and I don't try to cover up my past or ignore my past or don't act like my past didn't happen. See, some of you, you you've tried to bury your past instead of learn from your past. And, and, and it's, it's prevented you from actually spiritual maturity because there were some lessons in those things that you're denying that even happened in your life. And God wants to use some of those things that you might be ashamed of or cause pain in your life, in other people's life. And you're not actually developing spiritual maturity because you're not willing to open up. You're not willing to admit. You're trying to hide those things. You don't lie about it, you fake it. You don't run away from it either. Some of you need to start telling yourself this. Here it is. I'm not a product of my past. I'm, I'm a product of my past, not a prisoner of my past. You, yeah, you've got a past. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it downright ugly. And you're a product of that past. I'm a product of my past. But listen to me, your past is past. Your past is over. Your past is not your future. It's not your destiny. Your past is past. Your future is your destiny. Knowing your identity, it demonstrates that we are spiritually mature. Here's the second thing, knowing your identity. Knowing your identity defines your responsibility. And what I mean by that, it clarifies what God expects of me. But also, check this out, it clarifies also what God doesn't expect of me. See, I've learned that God does not expect me to sing on the stage. <laughs> if you heard me sing, you know, you know why, okay? One day when I stand before God, he's not going to judge me on the gifts I don't have. He's not going to judge me on the talents he did not give me. He's not going to judge you based on what he did not give you. So when you know who you are, you know what your responsibility is. Check this out. But you also know what your responsibility isn't. You know, you know what you're supposed to be doing and what you're not supposed to be doing. God custom made and planned the events of Moses' life, all of it to prepare him for this assignment, this one assignment, to be the deliverer and leader of God's people. God did not make Moses an artist. God did not make Moses and design him to be a rock star. He designed him specifically for his assignment to be the deliverer and leader of his people. And he planned it. 
And he planned it like this. First, he said, you're going to be born of a Hebrew slave. You're going to be born in slavery. And he gave them the parents he gave them because they had the exact DNA. These Levites, these priests, he's, he gave them the parents he gave them because they needed the exact DNA to make Moses. And then he planned intentionally that those parents would not raise him. Instead, it was God's plan that he would be raised in royalty in the Egyptian palace. Both of those things, they were part of God's plan to prepare Moses, born a Jew, but raised Egyptian. And that made him the perfect combination of a national leader. God orchestrated who his parents would be, but also, he also orchestrated that his parents would not raise him. When Moses finally discovered his real identity, when he finally, like, I'm not Pharaoh's grandson. I'm not even Egyptian. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew, a Jewish slave's son. When Moses finally knew that and discovered that, he knew immediately his assignment, his purpose, his mission. He could no longer ignore the cries of the people, but he accepted his mission and his responsibility. Look at verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Moses, look at this, he chose. He made a decision. He had to make a choice. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. In your life, listen, if you're going to be who God wants you to be, then you got you to make some choices. There are some choices to make. There's, there are some decisions that you have to make. There's going to be some things that you have to say no to. And then there's going to be some things that you need to start saying yes to. And knowing your identity, it defines that. It helps define your responsibility. See, because you don't know who you are, your identity in Christ, you're saying yes to the wrong things and no to the wrong things. Your yes has been robbed by things that are not your responsibility, so you cannot say yes to the things that God has called you to do. Knowing your identity, it helps define my yes and my no. It helps define what I'm, you know when that happens? You know what, what is it, when does that happen? When you grow up. It says when Moses had grown up. Some of y'all need to grow up, man. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Grow up, man. You need, you got, if you want, listen, if you want to actually live this way, know your identity, live your identity, then you got to grow up and stop saying yes to everything. Oh, man, I'm talking to somebody. You got to grow up and start saying no to those things. See, Moses had a contrast here. The things of God are the pleasures of Egypt. You got the same contrast. And the reason why you're not living your purpose is because you're not, you're saying yes to the wrong things. You're saying yes to the pleasures of Egypt, man. You're saying yes to everything else that's out here, and you should be saying yes to God. You're living this duplicitous life. You're not living from your identity. We know, knowing your identity, it, it defines your responsibilities. Not only that, number three, write this down. It decides your priorities. Like it helps me decide. It helps me know what to focus on and what to ignore. When you know who you are and who God made you to be, then you know what matters and what doesn't matter. Well, let me say it this way. It's not that it doesn't matter. It just ain't none of your business. Some things are none of your business. Like you don't need to be involved in everything. 
You need to know your priorities, your focus, your energy. People who know their identity, they prioritize their time. They prioritize their energy. They prioritize their money. They prioritize everything in their life. They set the priorities based on who God has called me to be. You think about Moses, again, born a Hebrew slave, raised in a life of luxury as Pharaoh's grandson. He sees all these slaves beaten, murdered, wasting their life, building these buildings and pyramids, the pyramids that you love to look at, built by the slaves of, of Israel. He could have said, I got plenty of excuses to ignore this situation here. I mean, it's none of my business. Besides, I got, I got you know, I have palace priorities. I got palace duties to take care of. I'm the grandson of the Pharaoh. Maybe he, maybe he said, he could have said, you know what, I can work from within the system to effect change, within the legislation and from within the system, but he didn't make that decision. Look what it says in verse 26. It says, Moses regarded, that's a judgment decision. It means to evaluate or to consider. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value, look at this, than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses, he gave up in Egypt the same temptations that plague us today. Popularity, pleasures, and possession. Because he knew his true idea. This is the same thing, man, that we are seeing as followers of Jesus in our own little Egypt in this world. All out here, all out here, plaguing your identity, robbing you of your purpose, robbing you of God's calling in your life are these three things. It's popularity, pleasures, and possessions. I want to be liked by people. I want to be admired by people. I want to be respected by, by, by people. I want the good things in life. I, I, want, I want to possess those things. I want to be pleased in life. All those things are robbing you of the best things of God. Moses decided, he determined, fulfilling God's purpose is better than popularity. That loving God's people was better than pleasure. That having God's peace was better than possession. How was he able to do that? By looking ahead. By looking, see, what I look at determines what I will become. What I behold determines what I become. And what I look at the most determines what I love the most. So let me say this way. My vision, my vision determines my values. So, so Moses, he was a man of vision. He was looking ahead at his reward. Not in your notes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul, he had the same exact vision of his life. He said, yes, everything else is worthless. When I do this comparison, when I make a judgment call, when I start considering it a little bit here, living for God, being a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, fulfilling his purpose in my life, compared to this world. Oh, he said, when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ, it's worthless. It's worthless. All the stuff that I used to have, the life I used to live, none of it is worthwhile anymore compared to the priceless gain of knowing Jesus. Knowing your identity. Write this one down last, number four. Knowing your identity, it determines your destiny. Your identity determines your destiny. Moses realized who he was. Once he did that, his, his life took a whole new direction. You know what our problem is, though? You've heard me say it before. We want, we want to change our circumstances, but God wants to change us. 
I mean, we get so excited about changing our circumstance. We get so passionate about it. We can talk about it. We can pray about it passionately because we think that if we can just get away from this relationship, I'll be happy. If I can just get away from this job or into that job, then I'll be happy. If I could just get away from my family, if I could just get away from this environment, then I'll be happy. But you know what the problem is? Wherever you go, there you are. See, my joy is not determined by what happens to me. It's determined by what Jesus does in me and through me. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. It was by faith that Moses, he did two things. Not only, see, knowing your identity, it not only helps you leave those things behind, those things that keep pulling you away from your call, from your identity, from your purpose, but it helps you also walk in your purpose. Look what it says. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt and he wasn't afraid of the king and he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He's talking about God. He kept his eyes focused on him. So let me go back to this question again. Who am I? Who am I? We're going to see over the next few weeks in different ways that Moses wrestled. He didn't get it right all the time, and neither do we. But, but if you're going to live a life of purpose and intentionality, if you're going to live for God, you need to know who you are. And for everyone who is a follower of Jesus in this room, or those of you that are even investigating it, who you are in Christ is essential to you fulfilling your destiny. Like, that's the foundation. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with your parents. It doesn't start with the call that God... Do you know your calling is your assignment, but your identity is in Christ? Some of you confuse what you're doing as, as your identity, and what you do for God is not who you are to God. Mm. Let me give you Colossians chapter 3. Is, is foundational to your identity. Who, who am I in Christ? Look what it says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Stop getting distracted with the popularity, the pleasures, the possessions. Put your hearts, not on this world, but put your hearts on things above where Christ is seated right now at the right hand of God. And not only does he say set your hearts, but then he says set your minds Okay, on things above. So not only set your heart. So what he's saying is, look, what your affection is, your devotion is, your passions are. Set your heart. Don't be so passionate about the things of this world. Don't be so driven and ambitious for the things of this world. And then he says, and then set your minds. You know what the difference is? What he's saying is, set your imaginations. Set your dreams what, what you dream about, what you imagine in life should be more than this life. You should be imagining and dreaming things that are not just temporal, but things that are eternal. That's what God created you for. You have a new identity that does not belong in this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you, that old you, he's gone. She's dead. You're no longer alive anymore, but the life is now that you have, it's hidden with Christ. Which means this, it means that who you are now, after your devotion, your surrender to Jesus, who you are can only be found inside of Jesus Christ. Your identity is in Christ, meaning that you got to abandon, listen to me, you got to abandon every image of yourself that is not from God. Every image, 
Every image that belongs to this world, you got to abandon it. You need to start believing what God says about you. See, finding your identity in Christ, it means that you got to do a better job believing what God says about you and believing that what he says about you is truer than what anybody else says about you. Or even what you say about you, that what God says about me, that's the reality. That's my true identity. So who am I? Let me give you some foundational principles, some foundational, foundational truths. Now, again, Moses didn't always get this right. We're going to see in these next few weeks, okay? But it was, he had to go through some things like you and I have to go through some things for God to use us to refine our character, to refine and clarify our identity. But I chose these specifically not because they, they correlate with Moses, but they also correlate with the attack of the enemy in your life that he wants to rob you of your identity, He wants to confuse you and distort you, not live from the place of your calling and purpose, your identity in Christ. Because the antithesis of all these identity statements, and I put them as I am, so that you can claim it over yourself, I am. But the antithesis of this is actually where the enemy is going to try to attack. And you can see it. Watch this, okay? So let me give them to you. Who are you in Christ? Number one, I am completely accepted. Completely accepted. This is so vital for us to know because we all have wounds. The, the deepest wounds and the most difficult wounds to heal from are the relational wounds, the rejection wounds, aren't they? We've been rejected by people. Some of you have been rejected by your parents. You've been rejected by people that, that were supposed to love you. You've been rejected by, by your boss. You've been rejected sometimes even by, by churches or families or whatever it is. But here's the problem with that deep wound. We try to solve it by finding acceptance in all the wrong places. We try to find acceptance through our, our parents, our friends, our work, but many times it's, it's based on how well we're doing at that moment, not based on what God said about us. And I got news for you, church. Listen, you don't have to chase after acceptance because God gives it to you. And so whenever you feel like you need to earn it and you need to go get it, that's a lie of the enemy. He wants you to be living from this place, not from your identity. Second, or First Peter chapter 2. Verse 9 says this, that God, listen, you have been chosen by God. That's where you start. That's the truth about you. That's your identity. I don't care if you don't feel it or not, but in Christ, that's the truth. You are chosen by God himself. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. Amen. Somebody agree with that right there? I know I got so much more than what I deserve, so much better. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. Look at that. He made us and gave us. That's where acceptance comes from. If, if you try to get acceptance from God like you try to get acceptance from everybody else, like you're chasing after it, you're going to earn it. You're never going to get there. You cannot earn God's acceptance. You only receive it as a gift. He made you acceptable. He gave it. He made you. So stop trying to perform your way into acceptance from, from God. You, it's not based on your performance, okay? We have to, this is foundational to your identity in Christ. He made me acceptable. I am acceptable. Here's the second thing about your identity in Christ. I am extremely valuable. Now, that's better than acceptance. We all want to be accepted, but value is, is even greater. We want to be valued, every one of us. So God says, I don't just accept you, I value you. I don't just completely accept you, but you're extremely valuable. In fact, you're priceless. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again, verse 9. He says, you are a holy nation. You belong to God. Those words holy and belonging, they imply extreme value. You know what holy means? It means something highly valued, separated from everything. God says, you're so valuable, I'm separating you from everything else because you're valuable to me. That's what that word holy means. Anytime you see holy Bible, holy, holy land, holy city, holy of holies, it's, it's something that is considered more than normal, something that God says, no, 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 you are mine. Listen, so God says, listen to me, God says, you are holy. You are mine. I'm, I'm choosing you, separating you, bringing you to myself. God says, that is your, your true identity. You are extremely valuable to God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. You are a people holy to the Lord your God, his treasured possession. Do you know that when God looks at you, he doesn't, even when you like make mistakes and you mess up, he doesn't go, dang it, man, I can't believe I made her. I can't, man, why'd I make him like that? Shoot, man, I wish I had a do-over on that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that, ever. God doesn't do that. When God looks at you, he sees his treasured possession. Nobody values you more than God. Nobody. I'm completely accepted. I'm extremely valuable. Number three, I am eternally loved. Eternally loved. God loves you. Here's what 1 Peter says about that. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you didn't have much identity, but now you're the people of God. That has such profound implications. You know why? Because now you're a part of God's family. You're, you're like, you're his son. You're, you're his daughter. You think it was good for Moses being the, son, the grandson of a pharaoh? No, no, no. You're the son of the king. Okay, you're the daughter of the king. You know, in our families, we sometimes can be ashamed of relatives. Don't look at them. Don't look at them right now or anything like that. But you know, you got those aunts or those uncles or those people that you're like, you're a little bit embarrassed about. You're like, oh, they're coming? I didn't write them, you know, kind of thing. Okay. You know, come on. Sometimes you might be the one that people are embarrassed shows up, okay? You got some, I got good news. Look, God will never be ashamed of you. Never, ever, ever embarrassed of you, ever. He chose you to be a part of his family. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says this. God says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. There's two characteristics about God's love that you need to memorize. Because again, this is again where the enemy wants to attack, that you got to earn this stuff. Here's two characteristics, and that is God's love is unconditional and unending. It's unconditional, and it is unending and constant. He says, I have loved you everlasting and unfailing. He doesn't say, I love you if you pray. I love you if you do good. I love you if you give. I, I love you because you go to church. I love you because you, you serve. I love you because you tithe. No, it's not because. He says, I love you, period. That's it. You are, you are eternally loved. It is unconditional, and it is unfailing. That's who you are in Christ. And then it's so important for you to understand that. Let the enemy rob that because if you don't believe that or if he gets you distracted from that, you're going to start trying to earn his love and not living from your place as a son and daughter of God. Amen. He's going to rob you of your identity. I'm eternally loved. Here's another one. Some of us struggle with this one. The enemy has definitely attacked 
I am in Christ. I am totally forgiven. We have a hard time getting this, don't we? It's honestly, a lot of the reason is because we don't do this well. It's hard for us to like totally forgive. Like even those of us that maybe do really well, maybe you have forgiving, maybe you're a good forgiving person. You really don't do it like God though. You know what I mean? Because we have, we have memory. We have, you know, when we say we forgive people, what we really do is we just take the wrong thing they do and they, we put it in a box. And they put a lid on that box and we write on the top of the box to be pulled out in case further sin. And then we put that box away and we're like, I forgive you, brother. Honey, I forgive you. And then they, right when it happens again, you go, aha, see, what, that's what you do. That's all, see what you do? Yeah, that's how we forgive. But you need to know, listen, that's not how God forgives you. When God forgives you, he does it totally. He erases it. He, he wipes it out. He destroys it. The penalty and the punishment is totally gone, forever gone. He totally forgives us. See, when I start to get a hold of, of that, I start to understand my true identity. But when I get confused about that, this is why we have the feeling sometimes, maybe you have had this feeling like when you've done something wrong and you feel guilt about it and something bad happens in your life, you think, oh, God's trying to get me back for that. Have you ever thought that? Well, that's because that sin. Oh, that happened because that God's paying me back. That's the, the, the sin of my life. So, so maybe you get a bad test result or something from the doctor. or Maybe it's like preliminary even. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting punished for my sin. Or you hit a traffic jam and you're late to work and everything for you. And some of you, it's everything. It's like, dang, this God get me back, man. I knew I shouldn't have yelled at my husband on the way out of the house. Right? Or you order a Taco Bell, a taco, and there's no meat in it. And you're like, dang it, God's getting me. It's like everything for some of you. And the vegetarian's saying the same thing to the next table, by the way. They're like, God's getting back at me. That's not, listen to me. If you're a child of God, God does not punish you for your sin. He does not. God will lovingly discipline and guide and lead you towards him and towards your purpose, but he will never punish you for your sin. That is not of God. Some of you need to get that out of your mind. That's a lie of the devil. He doesn't have that kind of operation in your life. You're a child of God. Here, how do you know that, Pastor? What are you talking about? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that's your guilt speaking to you. If you feel like Christ is condemning you for your sin, that's not true. That is not true. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God does not hold grudges. He's not rehearsing your sin in his mind like, gosh, how did I, I can't believe. No, it's gone. You, this is your identity. Even when you mess up, listen to me. It's not when you, when you ask God for forgiveness, you're not getting new forgiveness. You're stepping into the forgiveness you already had. This is your identity. Some of you think that when you mess up and you sin, you step out of your purpose, your, your sonship, your daughtership, your, you step out of that. You do not. You do not. Now, I'm not saying, and Paul goes into detail, and I'm not going to, that doesn't give us license. That doesn't give us license, but it doesn't change who you are. You are totally forgiven in Christ. That's your identity. Some of you, that's robbing you. That's robbing you. Okay, here, let me give you this one. Don't, don't leave on me because I'm going to give you this last fill-in, okay? 
I am fully capable. In Christ, this is my identity. I'm, I'm totally accepted. I'm extremely valued. I'm eternally loved. I'm completely forgiven. But I am fully capable. And some of you are limiting yourself. You're living under the call. You're living under the identity. You're not basing your capacity and your, your assignment and your call on him. You're trying to base it on your past, your history, your education, your requirements. Look what it says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are, you are, you are, you are, there you go. You are royal what? You are royal priest. Do you know you're a priest? That's what God calls you. God calls you a priest. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are also a priest. You know what a priest does? A priest represents God to men. And he represents men to God. That's the function of a priest. So you are called. This is your function as a child of God. This is part of your identity. A priest, meaning that I'm to represent God to people. But I'm also going before God on behalf of people. I'm an intercessor. I'm a priest chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, God says you are fully capable of doing that. You are fully capable of being this priest, this representative. Some of you go, oh, I just can't. I just, I'm not enough. I don't have enough education. I'm just going to mess up too much. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God says about you? Are you calling God a liar? Is God a liar? Okay. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what you feel? Are you going to believe what this world tells you? Are you going to believe what you, what you are thinking? Or are you going to buy into you? Again, here, there's some choices you're going to have to make about your identity. And the, and the sooner you make these choices, the less mistakes you start making. Moses had to make a few mistakes. We're going to talk about it. He wrestled through some things. I'm, I'm your pastor. I love you. I want to help you not have to navigate through, all, all of us are going to make it, don't get me wrong, but the sooner you, you, you accept who you are in Christ, the easier this walk of Christ is going to be. When you don't know that and you don't accept it, it's a grind. It's just, it, it's, it's a grind. Some of you go, I just, I can't do it. In, in one, I can't do that. I can't serve God. I can't do all those things. I'm not a Moses. In some respects, you, I, you can't, but you were never supposed to do it on your own. You're always meant to do it in the power that God enabled you, gave you. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray right at this. The capacity we have comes from my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my doctorate degree. It comes from my education. It comes from my experience. It comes from my Bible knowledge. No, 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 no. For those of you, it doesn't say that, right? My, my capacity doesn't come from those things of this world. My capacity, the Bible says, if you're a child of God, your capacity comes from him. He gives you the capacity. It is he who made us capable of serving this new covenant that Jesus has given us. You say, I could never serve in my church. No, no, no. I could never do that. No, no, no. You have capacity that you have not realized because you don't know who you are yet. You just need to buy into who God says you are and stop believing who you think you are or who other people said you are. You are fully capable. This is so important to understand as we continue this Moses journey. We're gonna, it's gonna, you'll see the thread in these next few weeks. But can I pray for you? Some of you need to accept this new identity today. You need to shift. That's gonna happen in your mind right here, right here, right now. Every head bow, every eye closed. You're here today. And you need to stop thinking the same way. You need to leave here thinking differently. 
You need to leave here with a shift that, that is happening in your mind, in your heart, in your identity. You need to leave here knowing who you are and whose you are, not limiting yourself, not, not following your own dreams and aspirations, but putting your identity in his hands. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here today and maybe you've never done that, you've, you've, you've never had this whole like totally forgiven thing You've never really felt this eternally loved, unconditionally thing that's accessible and available. And check this out. This is how you access it. This is how it's made available to you. You don't fix it. You don't get it right. The only way is for you to surrender, for you to die. Just die to yourself. Die to your old life. That old you needs to go away, and God can make you brand new. 